It must have been bad this week. Let me tell you how you know God has a sense of humor. As you know, many of you know, we're in the process of praying through and hoping that the Lord's going to allow us to build a gymnasium on our property here over here to the east. Well, part of that, there's a, Kevin could come up here and explain this much better than I, but he, he doesn't want to do that. But part of our issue is, and I won't get in great detail, but there's a ditch running around this property with water in it, which has some life, life in it. And we were, uh, I'm a huge fan of the TV show Duck Dynasty, as are many of you. And so we find out Kevin's been and Chad have been doing a lot of work, and we found out there were going to be some issues with the stream not being able to build what we wanted to because it has an aquatic life in it, and basically without getting into great detail. So we're just praying God's bigger than the state of Tennessee. So we were just praying and seeing what would happen, and want you to continue to pray because we're not past the hurdle. But we found out part of the issue is back here behind Fred's there are two beaver dams. Have you seen the episode where they went after the beaver dams? I could have Stan Wilson come up here and quote it verbatim. My favorite episode, when he breaks out the napalm, you know you've arrived. And so you get out there with your automatic weapons and your, your whatever we got to do. And I'm sure Chris Ellison will have whatever we need to blow. We've got to get rid of two beaver, beaver dams or beaver bams, either one. One thing for sure, you don't want Randy back there trying to get rid of them because uh, it would not turn out well. So you pray for us as we figure out how to rid ourselves of two beaver dams and then go back to the state of Tennessee and see what they think at that point. But we have to get rid of them before we can proceed. I just thought that was, uh, I found that rather amusing. What will be the next issue? I don't know. You continue to pray as we look at that. Now, we've been talking a lot about prayer and I want you to go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 6. As we continue to look at Jesus' teaching on prayer, I've really been burdened about this, and it began late last year, even before we got into the holidays, as I was wrapping up that long series I did on truth, because I'm, I'm convinced uh, the older I get, and I went this week for a test, uh, uh, blood work to be drawn, because you always have to, to go through the same thing every time, even though you've been there a million times. When's your birthday? Uh, and of course, my birthday was recently, and, and the lady, uh, sweet lady, she says, oh, you're 59. I said, thank you, I didn't need to be reminded. She goes, you got one more year, don't you? And I, so I said, being the gentleman that I am, I said, well, how old are you? I said, you don't look a day over 70, 75. She didn't find that amused, so. But the older I get, the more and, and, and the longer I serve in a capacity as a pastor and studying the Bible and reading and, and listening to people. And it's the reason I don't have any hair is that I, I pull it out listening to some preacher and how they abuse the Word of God and how they abuse the principles. But I, I, I'm, no, I'm, I'm totally convinced from my life of 43 years as a believer and studying the Word of God and, and trying to walk with the Lord and surrendering and hopefully living for Jesus Christ, that there are two absolute essentials in the life of every believer that you have to have to be what God wants you to be. One, you have to be a person of the Word of God. It has to be vital in your life that you're in the Word, you're learning the Word, you're growing, you're applying it. You're, that's how you become more like Christ, who is the Word, by being in His Word. Find out what it is. The other is your prayer life. You, your prayer life has to be intense. It has to be planned. We're going to talk about a lot of these things over the next couple of weeks. It has to be spontaneous in many cases, but I think there's so much out there taught in the name of Jesus Christ about prayer that is absolutely antithetical to everything Jesus stood for and taught. What I want to do is spend some time just letting the Bible say what it says about prayer so that in our lives, 
as individual believers and corporately as a group of believers and then as a world that we have that we're part of as a group of believers and as individual believers and all that we do that in our prayer life and in living out our Christian life that we can be more effective for Jesus Christ and I'm convinced again that it's about being a person of prayer being a group of people who pray being a church that prays and being an entity that's interested in proclaiming the good news. So, we, so having said all that, we're in this series on real prayer. Our acronym for 2013 is I want us to be real for God. I think I've finally gotten it after a month. What's the R? Ready. The E. The A. That's good. Y'all are on it. Alert. And the L. All right. God wants us to be real for him. Ready to proclaim the word of God. But part of that eager to share the word with people, alert to people around us, and that we genuinely love them. No matter what their response is to us, that we genuinely love them, that we're concerned about them, even though they may not reciprocate, which by the way is the definition of the highest form of love is simply choosing to love someone when they don't love you in return. It's called Christ-like love. Jesus loved us, Romans 5, 8 says, when we were yet in our sins, helpless, ungodly, his enemies, he loved us anyway. So the message for us is to be real. Now, an essential part of that is having a prayer life that's real. I was reading a story this week about three preachers, and that was their problem there when you get three preachers together. It's a committee, and that's not a good thing. They were discussing the proper way, the proper position to be in when you pray, and they were outside their, their, wherever they were meeting, and they were outside, and there was a telephone repairman there working, and these three preachers were discussing on the parking lot there the proper position to be in to pray. One says, well, I'll just tell you, I know for a fact that you have to be kneeling, and if you're not kneeling, God, it's just God's not listening. And the next guy said, no, 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 you don't know what you're talking about. You need, you need to be standing up with your hands outstretched, your face pointed toward the heavens. That's the only position to pray. And the third guy said, neither one of you know what you're talking about. You need to be laying on the ground, your face on the ground before God, just laid out. And the repairman said, look, guys, it ain't none of my business. But the position that I'm in when I do the most praying is when I'm hanging upside down from a pole. And I think sometimes that's how we view prayer and our relationship with God. Uh-oh, uh -oh, I'm in trouble. God, help. Here's what I want to share with you as we get into this some more today. Look at Matthew chapter 6. C.S. Lewis once said an incredible quote, and I'd never heard it till this week. Just a tremendous intellect, and, and after this was a, in his, one of his books. He's writing about his conversion experience, and he talks about uh, he was the most reluctant convert that ever came to Jesus Christ. And the very next chapter begins, after saying that about his conversion, the very next chapter begins with these words, quote, I thought I had come to a place, but I had come to a person. I thought I had come to a place, but I had come to a person. Here's what I want you to begin to take away from our study in prayer. Is that praying is about me growing in intimacy with my God. It's not about me going to God and getting him to do what I want him to do. It's not about me going to God and him doing what I have faith enough that he will do. It's not about me going to God and begging him to do something because I think it ought to be done. Prayer is about me growing in my intimate relationship with my father. For example, how many of you are married? How many of you love your spouse? They're looking. So if someone, if you, how many of you are grandparents? How many of you love your grandchildren? Woohoo, dog! People that you love, you want to talk about, you want to spend time with them, you want to grow in that relationship, you want the intimacy to get deeper, 
Mary and I have been married, it'll be 40 years in August. I don't know why she put up with me for 40 years, but she has. And we still laugh and joke, have a good time together, and hopefully our mutual goal is that we want to get even closer to each other. After 40 years, of, and we've known each other 43 years, I've been a Christian 43 years, and yet on a regular basis, I find myself saying, God, I'm sorry. I don't spend enough time alone with my God. I don't pray it. Not that it's not about marking time. It's about if God is important to me, shouldn't I have one of some time with Praying over the Bible. Praying the Bible back to God. Sometimes when you get a chance, go to the Psalms and just read them like a love letter back to God. Some of the incredible, deep things that are said about your, not the God that's out there, but your heavenly Father. So what I want to do, we began to do last week, we'll continue this week, is to look at what Jesus taught about prayer. Don't you think that'd be a good place to start? Since he is our savior, he is our groom, we are his bride, again, re relationship terms. We are his body, physical, intimate terms. We are his chosen institution through whom he wants to reveal himself to the world. We are the privileged Chosen one, ecclesia, called out ones. We are his church. And he said, the gates of hell will not prevail against you. You are my body. You are my bride. <clears throat> when you read about the heavenly state and you read about the eternal state, excuse me, when we get there, when, we're all, when we all get to heaven, when the roll is called up yonder and we're there, the first great celebration is called what? The marriage supper of the lamb. We all think about marriage and, we, and it's just what a great moment. When a man and a woman become one in Jesus Christ, we are his bride. He looks forward to spending eternity with us. And yet I know in my life, and I would challenge you probably in your life, prayer may be the weakest area of your walk with your God. That we just kind of pray out of rote. We'll talk more about that to come. We pray when we're desperately in need. But do we ever spend time just, I want to be alone with God because I love you. I want to spend time with you, just love you. I want to be with you. I want to know more about you. See, that's where the Bible and prayer go hand in hand. If you want to know more about your God, why don't you read his book? Pour yourself into it. So I was telling my class this morning, I was listening to a preacher this week who was talking about the Bible, and he described it this way. <clears throat> he said it's 66 love letters from God to you. He loves you. Prayer is me growing in intimacy with my dad. Last week, we looked at the motive of prayer. And on your handout, we're not going to go over that again. We spent a lot of time on that. The motive of prayer. Why do we do it? Jesus was contrasting the true versus false righteous, the sincere versus the hypocrites, the ritual of just doing something versus a real person. He was contrasting religion, as C.S. Lewis would say, versus relationship. You see, prayer is not religion. It's not a ritual. It's a real relationship. It's growing, growing, deepening my walk with my dad. In the parallel passage to this, we're not going to read it today because we're going to look at it a little bit next week. In Luke chapter 11, I don't want you to turn and just stay in Matthew, but in parallel passage to Matthew. In Luke chapter 11, it says it this way. It's really interesting. And if you, again, if you miss everything else I say, please get this because it's going to be the focus of everything we talk about over the next couple of weeks. In Luke 11 verse 1, it says, as Jesus was praying, in a certain place, as Jesus was praying, the disciples were watching him. When he got through, Peter said, Lord, teach us to pray. Then we get into what we call the Lord's Prayer, better called the model prayer. Here's what I want you to note. In Greek, this is what Peter said. This, I get chills thinking about this because this is what God has really hit me with over the last two weeks as I studied. Here's what Peter asked in Greek. Jesus has been praying, and every time you see Jesus praying, he gets off alone, and when he comes back, the Bible, you see him, he's different. This is the Son of God. 
the Son of Man, who's praying, spending time with his Father, and when he comes away, he's changed physically. They see that over and over again. In Luke 11, 1, Peter says to him, Lord, teach us now to pray, as John taught his disciples. What Peter was asking Jesus, what I want you to ask God, what I want us to get from the word over the next couple of weeks, Peter was saying, Lord, I want to have what you got, and I want it right now. That's what Peter, Lord, teach us now. I want whatever you just did, almost like, pardon the term, it's almost like magic. Lord, whatever it is you're doing, whatever, when you come back from praying, we need that. Teach us now to pray like you're praying. I want to be like that. I want to have that kind of relationship with God. Now, clearly Jesus was different, but he was also the same, wasn't he? He was 100% God and 100% man. If, I know it sounds trite, bear with me. If Jesus needed to intentionally get alone with God regularly to pray, do you think you need to? Do you think I need to? Absolutely. Absolutely. It has to. <clears throat> to be important to me. Lord, teach us now. We want that intimacy that you have. So now we get to verse 9, and I want us to begin to look at this model that Jesus gave to them. He answers Peter's question with the, with the model prayer, which every one of you memorized. It's kind of interesting that today in two locker rooms in New Orleans, the Baltimore Ravens will get together and they'll scream. Ray Lewis will beat himself in the chest. This is my last game. We've got to win this one. And then they'll, oh, let's pray. They'll throw their hands in, and what will they pray? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Maybe. When the other locker room, the San Francisco 49ers, are doing what? I want to beat my brother up. Who doesn't want to beat their brother? Then they put their hands in, and they pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, what's God interested in? Their hearts, not the vain repetition, not the rote, not the religion, not the ritual. Where's your heart? So Jesus, in answer to that question, Peter says, Lord, teach us now to pray. Jesus answers with the model prayer. Verses 9 through 13 of Matthew chapter 6. I want you to notice two things about it for us as believers. Now notice, this is a prayer that Christians pray. Nothing wrong with the words if that's your heart. But it's not the words that are magical. We talked about that already last week. Two things about this I want you to note. Number one, it's about a believer's relationship with God. And number two, it's about a believer's attitude toward God. So let's begin to look at this. Verse 9, Matthew 6, 9. In this manner, therefore, pray. Manner simply means, in Greek means pattern. Does not mean the words themselves. What do you take from the pattern? In this pattern, pray. Therefore, pray. And therefore, in context, without going back over last week's sermon, therefore, in context, context means because the way the hypocrites pray, what Jesus had just been talking about, remember, he's contrasting true with false, real with fake. He's saying, because the way they pray is not prayer. Vain repetitions, uh, trying to uh, uh, appease people, let them see you, get that pat on the back, saying the same thing. The more you say it, the more you're going to get God on your side. That doesn't work, Jesus is saying. So don't do it that way. Do it this way, because that way doesn't work. But also, remember the an he's answering Peter's question. You want to have the intimacy I have with the Father? Here's how you get it. Pray this way. Here's the pattern. I want you to notice something. Look at verse 8 for just a moment. Therefore, do not be like them. We dealt with this last week. Don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like the Pharisees. For your father knows the things you have need of. What's the next word? Before you ask him. Now, let's be honest. 
if you've ever shared your faith, or you probably, if you haven't asked this question, you're probably not being honest. If God knows everything I need before I ask him, what's the logical question? Why ask him? Is it an honest question? It's a real question? Non-believers ask it all the time. Well, if God knows everything, he's gonna, why do you even pray? We're going to talk about that next week. All right, let's move on. So notice verse 9. In this manner, therefore, pray, our Father, our Father. Notice, who are you not praying to? Are you praying to the big guy in the sky? Are you praying to the man upstairs? Are you praying to the dude out there? Are you praying to the force? Are you praying to yourself? Are you, pay, are you praying to everything else because you're pantheistic? Who are you praying to? Remember, it's about a believer's relationship and a believer's attitude. Who are you praying to? What's the term father mean? It should mean what? Close, personal, intimate relationship. It's a family term. But notice, what precedes the word father? Our, is that singular or plural? For those of you who didn't go to school, that's plural. Meaning, it's not when I pray... Russ is also praying, and Phil is praying, and Steve is praying, and Mary is praying, and believers all over the world pray to the same body. You ever think about that? There are people in your family right now who love Jesus Christ, who are praying to him, who will die tomorrow because they are believers. If nothing else, you should be praying for them. Those that are being persecuted, really persecuted on this planet because they're followers of Jesus Christ. They are your brothers. They are your sisters. You see, it's not about you. Who's it about? It's about our family. Who are we talking to? It's our dad who does know everything, who is all-powerful, who is everywhere at once. Why didn't he stop that? That's for another day. But he is our father. It's a family term. Now, the next phrase we're going to deal with next week and, and I want you to note this in case you're not here next week. What's the next phrase? Our father, where? And then the, the next phrase, excuse me. I want everybody to say it together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be thy name. When we memorize it as young people, kids. Hallowed be your name. This is the phrase that radically transformed me when I, when I realized the first time what God, what this really means. Remember, Jesus teaching them about intimacy, about a prayer life that will drive you deeper as a believer, and every bit of it flows from this phrase. Hallowed be your name. My entire prayer life, our entire prayer life, the entire prayer life of the church should be focused on the name God being. When these guys stand up and preach, it's simply about God, I claim to do this. That's mocking God. You don't tell God what to do. What do you do? You bow your heart before God and say, Lord, how can I be more effective? Hallow your name. If it's through disease, okay. Do you hear me? If it's through death, okay. If it's through loss of everything I hold dear, okay. You ever read the book of Job? What did he say? Naked I came into the world. Naked I'm going out. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And he meant it. Do we pray that way? We pray. Why, God? Nothing wrong with asking honest questions. We'll talk about that. God wants you to be honest. You know why? That's why you're asking. Away. Hint. Why does he want you to be honest? He already knows. Don't try to fool him. You can't. That's the beauty of prayer. You're not going to fool him anyway. So why try? Be honest. Be real. Be real. What you'll discover is you'll be a much more effective witness of Christ. You'll be much more excited about your faith. You'll be much more interested in what can I do for the kingdom, not what can I get from somebody else. It's not about me. It's about hallowing the name of God. Hallowed be your name. It's the essence of all prayer. We're going to focus on that next week. Now look at verse 10. Verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Notice, Jesus is teaching them how to pray. Notice the petitions. For whose name to be glorified? Whose name? The fa your father's. Whose kingdom do you want to come? Your father's. Whose will do you want done? You see that? 
Jesus said, you want to pray like I pray? Here it is. God, I want my Father. I want your name, your kingdom, your will. Who does that leave out? Me. Except. Here's the beauty of it. Except. I get to get in on that. See, I'm part of God's kingdom. I'm part of his will. I'm part of his name being glorified. And so are you if you're a Christian, because that's why you're on the planet, to glorify the name of God, to pray for his kingdom to come, to pray for his will to be done. That's what prayer is. That's what he intended. His name, his kingdom, his will. Note the requests, verses 11 through 13. We're going to cover some of this in more detail next week. Notice what he asked for. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Notice what he asked for. Verses 11 through 13. Tell me what he asked for first. Bread. Not what? Not everything I want, but what? Just what I need. What I need. Daily bread. Just provide for me, Lord. Provide, meet my what? Need. Not my wants. Most of us have many of our wants met, don't we? But what we pray for, the request is, Lord, just meet my needs. And then, Lord, forgive me. Make me a forgiving person. We'll talk a little bit more about this again next week. But the idea of forgiveness here, this is one that I'm very guilty of. We all struggle with this. Somebody hurts you deeply. Uh, yeah, I forgive them because I'm, I'm supposed That's not good enough. The Bible says forgive as you have been forgiven. Do you have any idea how much you owe God? Do you have any idea how much you owe God and how much of it was forgiven you got when Jesus died on the cross? All of it. So if someone hurts me, what's my, do I have the right not to forgive? No, but I also don't have the right not to have a forgiving spirit. Why? Because that's what Jesus is hanging on the cross and says what? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I cannot do any less because Christ in me is my hope of glory, not me. When you pray this way, it changes you. That's why God wants you. God is immutable. He does not change. So if I'm praying, why am I praying? For his benefit or mine? It's for me to grow in my intimacy with my Father. Daily bread, provision, pardon, forgiveness, and then deliverance. Protect me. Protect me. Take care of me. Now let's talk briefly about the meaning of prayer. We're going to go back over these verses, some of them again next. I want to talk about the meaning of prayer. Two things I want you to notice about the meaning of prayer on your handout. Number one is purpose of prayer. The purpose of prayer. Secondly, I know I just put purpose on your handout, but I want you to write of prayer on there somewhere, maybe next to the word purpose. Purpose of prayer. And then secondly, it's my consciousness in prayer, both for me as an individual and for us as a group. We just talked about it, but I want to hit it one more time. What is my purpose in prayer? What is our purpose in prayer? Three things. All of it flows under the umbrella of hallowing the name of God to sanctify, to glorify, to set aside his name, to usher in his kingdom and submit to his will. That's the purpose of prayer, and here's why. For example, when you pray, your kingdom come, all these years when I study this, think about it, pray, your kingdom come, what do we normally think that means? Come on back, Jesus. Don't we as a church, don't we want Jesus to come back? Well, sure we do. We'd like him to come back today. It's before the Super Bowl, so we don't have to go through that. Although I'd like to see some of the commercials first. We want him to come back. That's the great prayer of the church. Even Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. We want him to come back. Why? Because we get to go and be with him forever in paradise as Christians. That's part of it, but it's much deeper than that. When I pray, Lord, your kingdom come, what I mean by that is come in my life right now. I know what I have in Christ. But right now, Lord, I want to be effective. I want to be used for the kingdom. I want to be a tool that you use to help usher in the kingdom by being real, ready, eager, alert, and loving, sharing the gospel, living the gospel, being real, both individually 
and corporately and throughout the world. We want the kingdom of God to reign. It will reign forever. We want it to reign right now in our lives, in my life, our life, the life of our our nation. Doesn't our nation need to return to Jesus Christ? Then that should be the burning prayer of our hearts. Let it begin with me, Lord. Let it begin with us, but let it begin. Your will, Father, in my life, my life, our life, our country's life, our world, that we would realize and submit to the will of the omnipotent God who is our Father. That's our purpose. But what's our consciousness? Look on your outline at 1 Thessalonians 5. Notice what Paul says. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. My consciousness in prayer is that I have an attitude that my Father is always with me. And that I, thank you, Lord, I appreciate it. Even if it's something bad, notice how he puts it. Rejoice always. Does that mean good or bad? It means always. Is it always good? Of course not. There's a point for this. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. Does everything mean only good things? No, because... In your life as a Christian, there will be ups, there will be downs. As you become a deeper person of prayer and the word of God, take the downs and through being able to rejoice in the downs and give thanks in the downs and pray in the downs, people can see, hey, he doesn't talk about this Jesus stuff. He believes it. He lives it. It's part of his life. It's part of his DNA. It's who he is. It's who she is. That God is doing even in the difficult, hard Tough times, God is at work doing something. That's why you have to become person, praise word of God back to Father. Sometimes it's not easy because you're not perfect, but you have an attitude that you're grateful. You're talking to your Father. So that leads us to the mindset of prayer. Three simple things, then we'll wrap up. Number one, God's will is always perfect. Man, if you could just rip this. God's will is always perfect. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, judgment. Is it God's will that Randy dies one day? Yes. I'm okay with that. Why? Because the Bible tells me after the body is present of the Lord, I'm going to a place with no tears, no crying, no sorrow, no death, no mourning, and no sin. Sign me up. I'm going to paradise. I'm going home. God's will is always perfect. If I get fired tomorrow, I lose my job. Am I happy about that? No. But what do I know? God's got something else in line for me. God make no mistake. Do we really believe that? He makes no mistakes. So what I, my, my point in prayer is to align myself with the will of God. Align myself with the will of God. Even though Randy might not make that decision, how many mistakes has God ever made? Think about that. How many mistakes has he ever made? How many have I made? Just this week. Matter of fact, just this morning. I've made more in the last five minutes than God has made in all eternity. Don't you think it might be a good idea to say, hey, Randy, do it his way. You can't go wrong. You can never go wrong trusting God. That's why you have to know what he wants, which, by the way, brings you back to the word of God. If you want to know God's will, 90 plus percent of it, you'll find in the Bible. A principle, sometimes a direct. Secondly, God's glory is always my petition. Every time I go to God in prayer, no matter what it is, I want his name hallowed. I want him glorified, not going to him to tell him what I want. We'll see how that works next week. But going to him and saying, Lord, how can you use this? Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, I want people to see you and how I respond. Always, Lord, I want you glorified. The term glorify in Greek means to give a correct estimate what something's worth. How much does God mean to me? How much do I value him? That's what I want people to do. Third, God's nature 
is always my provision. God's nature is always my provision. God is perfect. God is holy. God is just. God is righteous. God is imminent. God is transcendent. I could go on and on. But he's all of those things simultaneously. And through that being who he is, I am his little boy. You are his little child. We are his bride. And he will always do what? Take care of you. Maybe not the way you want, but go back to the top. His will is always what? Perfect. So his provision is exactly what you need. Always. Look on your handout, Isaiah 66. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me? Where is the place of my rest? For all those things my hand is made. All those things exist, says the Lord. In other words, what does God own? What does he own? He owns the universe. He owns it all. Notice what he wants. But on this one will I look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. God is looking for what? What does he want out of me? What does he want out of us? He wants two things. He wants us to be humble and he wants us to listen to him. Prayer will humble you when you seek God's face. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a tremendous theologian, said these words. Prayer is beyond question the highest activity of the human soul. Man is at his greatest and highest when he comes face to face with God. Ultimately, a man discovers the real condition of his spiritual life when he examines himself in private, alone with God. In private, alone with God. There's so much that I want to say to you, and we're out of time. Share a quick story with you, and then we're going to pray. True story. How many of you ever heard of Joni Erickson Tata? Ever heard the name? Tremendous testimony for God. She injured in a diving accident, skiing accident, like 30 plus ago, became a quadriplegic. Her book on heaven is one of the best books I've ever read. And <clears throat> she tells a story of after she was a quadriplegic, she prayed and begged God over and over to heal her. He did not. She's still a quadriplegic. And she got married, and she would listen to people read scripture and talk about stories in the Bible. And one of her favorite stories, Jesus heals the man at the pool of Bethesda who's been lame. Jesus heals him. She said in her prayer life, she began to visualize herself at that pool of Bethesda and just kept begging God, heal me like you did that guy. Heal me like you did that guy. God chose not to. 30 years later, she's on a trip to Israel with her husband and others, and she's carried to the pool of Bethesda. That pool that you read about where Jesus healed the man. She said in that moment, as they set me down by that pool, she said, it hit me. God did me a thing by not healing. Because for all these years, because I wasn't healed, she said, I thanked God at that moment for my wheelchair because it had come my seat. Because I could not go and do what I wanted to do, said in my wheelchair. You get it? You see, God knew. He, her testimony has touched untold thousands of lives as a quadriplegic. God could have healed her, couldn't he? Sure he could. But his will is always perfect. Who wants to be a quadriplegic? Nobody. But if God wants me to be one, I need to be okay with it. You need to read her testimony because it will challenge. Do I pray like that? Where's my secret? Or do I just pray to get, or if I'm a tragedy? Or I didn't mean this is not meant to put you on a guilt trip. This is meant to encourage you that walk ever fine with Jesus. I'm learning. I'm learning. We'll always be learning. Would you bow your heads? Lord, we just pause before you again. And even as we pray now, I pray that we would be seeking to hallow your name in our individual lives as Christians, as Christ Church, Arlington, as others who will hear this, but Lord, just that you would use us, use me to further your kingdom, to hallow your name, to glorify you, that we would just be real. I pray that for every believer here. I pray we'd begin, begin to pray that way in a secret and then spontaneously, Lord, just talking to you, seeking, dying for intimacy. And Lord, if there's somebody here who's not a Christian, that this will be the moment they say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you. You died on my cross in my place. You took my debt. You paid my price. Forgive me. Save me. I want to, I want to be a This will be their prayer, their moment of conversion right now. We pray in Jesus. Please.